Good morning, Cornerstone. This is Priscilla, and I will be reading today's scripture. Today's scripture reading is from Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 26. You can read along on the screen or in your own Bibles. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The Word of the Lord. Hey Cornerstone, good morning again and glad that you guys can join us once again for our worship service. And so I am Pastor Paul and I'll be uh, giving our message for today. And so far, um, starting last week, we've started this series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and the theme is humility before God. And we see this theme throughout the book that the only way we can find true purpose in life is when we find it before, uh, when we come before him in humility. And so last week, Pastor Jeff introduced us to this book and how the author, or we call him the preacher, as, he, as he's called in the book, he speaks of the, the vanity of life, the meaninglessness of it as well, and how this life is temporary and, and ungraspable. And, and the Hebrew word is hevel to describe this, this, uh, this lack of meaning in life. And so uh, as we look into chapter 2, it is a continuation of chapter 1, and it further describes the vanities of life. So let's pray and ask the Lord to to help us examine uh, this passage together and help us to understand his word. So let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now asking you to bless this time as we hear your word, as we look through this chapter. 
We pray that we can see more and more what meaning in life is truly about and how we can find satisfaction in life. And Lord, show us that how that can only ultimately be found in you alone. So Lord, help us to see that, to understand that here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So although we did not read the first 11 verses of chapter 2, I uh, actually preached a sermon uh, on Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 11 uh, earlier this year. Um, but I wanted to mention it briefly to go over kind of some of the key points that's leading up to the rest of the chapter as well. So as the author continues uh, on, on his speech of the vanities of life, uh, we come to see three different things here in chapter 2. Uh, the part, we, part which we did not read today uh, describes how the preacher finds vanity and, and pleasure and, and self-indulgence. And it's because living to simply enjoy yourself and for your own pleasure is temporary. It only lasts for a very short period of time. And, and the satisfaction of these earthly pleasures um, and, and having gold and silver, silver, as it says in this passage. And, and he had his own personal entertainment, his own singers to sing to him whenever he wanted to be entertained. And, and having as many women as he could possibly imagine, having many concubines. And he had his pick of women as well. But he says again at the end of this section, Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. And the reason is because there's this thing called death <laughs> that is ahead of us. Death is lurking. And Leo Tolstoy, the famous uh, Russian writer uh, who wrote War and Peace, uh, and he said this about meaning in life. He, he wrote a lot about finding meaning in life. And he says this, My question that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live as I, as I had found by experience. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or shall do tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Is there any meaning in my life? that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. Tolstoy is touching on this very, very important point that death is always awaiting us. And thousands of years ago, this question was always around as well. What happens after death? What happens to our lives after death? And uh, this reminded me of a movie that came out 20 years ago called Final Destination. It's a teenage horror film, not a great movie, but it's about a group of students who narrowly escape a catastrophic accident. What happens is a one of the students has a premonition. Basically, he sees the future and sees the plane that he is about to board with his classmates. They're about to go on a, a school trip, and but he sees it explode shortly after takeoff. And so uh, frantically, a few of the students uh, get off the flight as the and, and as the student predicts, as the plane takes off, it explodes. So believing that they have escaped death, they kind of just go about their lives, just very thankful that they're alive in that moment. But then they discover that they have cheated 
death's design. And death comes after them one by one. In or- and, 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 they, and death goes after them in the order that they were supposed to die on the flight. And so the whole movie is about these students running away and trying to escape death because we cannot cheat death. Now, although death is not some entity that is actively trying to take us with them, in in some sense, though, it is true that we cannot cheat death. Death bats a thousand percent. We cannot cheat death. And the realization that death is looming and waiting for us is what is making the preacher think the wisdom he has gained and the work he has done is meaningless. Now, later on, he talks about death and the vanity of mortal life later on in this book. And, and ultimately, though, we see that, great, that death is the great equalizer here because death is looming. In the preacher's eyes, what, what does it matter that I gain all this wisdom, right? What does it matter that, uh, uh, that I have accumulated all this knowledge? Because even the dumb and the foolish will die, just like I will die. We'll all be in the same boat eventually. There's no way to escape mortality. And, and what happens to all that wisdom we've gained, it, it just goes away. It vanishes. And he says in verse 17, So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a star of striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So what's happening here is that the preacher sees that there is a diminishing return to seeking pleasure, seeking wisdom, because once he dies, he has no control over it. Uh, he's starting to hate life, and, and not just hate life, but he's grieving, right? He's grievous at the, the fact that all of his possessions, all of his work, all of his wisdom, they will all fade away. And, and look at the list he made of all the things he has, all the things he's done. Most of us would only dream of, of even half of the things that, that he has done in his lifetime. But, but, he got, he, he, but he's done it. He's got it. And, and probably um, he's gotten it at a relatively young age in life, especially if we believe the, the theory that Solomon is the author of this book. But again, we are unsure of that fact. But we, we see this progression of him first being grieved that he's done everything there, there is to do, but he has found no satisfaction for his soul. But then he moves on from grieving to being frustrated. Right? He's frustrated because he knows the work that he's putting in, all the accomplishments and, and achievements that, that he has built up on this earth, he has no control over how it will end up after he dies. Right, De- death makes it so that the stuff that he has is being passed on to his children, and who knows what his children will do with his accomplishments? Right, we have no idea what our children will do with with uh, with the money that we give, the accomplishments that we have done. 
our legacy. We do not know how our children will pass that on. And of course, you may try your best to set your family up to succeed in the future. And I know most of us can relate to this idea that we want uh, our children to have more success than we do, right? For them to be better and do better than the previous generations. But there's no guarantee of that. So the preacher is in despair because he knows that his life's work will, in the grand scheme of things, amount to, to very little significance. And that is the reality of our lives. The things we accomplish in this life will not mean much compared to death and the rest of eternity, the rest of time. In verse 23, it says, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. So because of death, our possessions, our wisdom, our work, it all seems meaningless. Now, there's a lot more to go in, in, regarding, uh, in regards to death, like I mentioned before, and, and we'll address more of that in, our, in this series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and, and the author, again, has a lot more to say on that, uh, on that topic. But, but death does, not, does make a lot of these things meaningless, and that is what the preacher has come to realize. They in themselves cannot provide meaning because it is fleeting. It is ungraspable. It is something we cannot hold on to, and it just eventually fades away. Even if we were to accomplish something amazing in our lives, right? even if we were able to leave behind a, a great legacy like people like Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King Jr., and, uh, and although we remember these individuals um, for what they did years ago, and even the likes of John Lewis, who, who recently passed away, the, the congressman, those accomplishments also eventually fade away. Our society has made progress in, in terms of racial injustice and systematic racism, but it continues to struggle with racism and the systematic evils. Yes, chattel slavery is, is abolished, but slavery continues to exist in our world. We have not completely gotten rid of slavery in our world. And right now it's mainly in the form of sex trafficking in this underground way. It's become hidden, but there are millions and millions of people in this world who, are continue, who continue to be slaves. So no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much we build up for ourselves or for the sake of this world, it fades away. When we solve one issue, another one quickly pops up in its place. And when we realize this, we, we come to see that this world is so sinful and, and evil, and there is not much we can really, really do to make it better on our own. You know, we oftentimes see this with our family fortunes. And wealth as well, if you look at examples of, of very wealthy families. We, we hope that the work we put in and the wealth we accumulate will pass on to our children and to their children and to their children. And that it will pass on for generations where many generations will not have to worry about uh, securing money for themselves and, and, and feeding themselves and, and finding shelter for themselves. But according to a CNN article... Nearly 60% of the time, 
a family's money is exhausted by the children of the person who created the wealth. And that's according to a president of a wealth consultancy company. So he has a lot of experience dealing with wealthy families. And in fact, in 90% of cases, it is gone by the time the grandchildren die. So that's only two generations. In two generations, the hard work you put in, the wealth you accumulate, most likely that will be gone. The money that you have accumulated, that will dissipate. You, it will be gone and, and your legacy will no longer remain. And the, the article actually referred to the Bible, referred to the story of the prodigal son, where the younger son took half of his inheritance and squandered it all, right? Basically lost all of it in, in a very short period of time. But ultimately we know the, the father of the son welcomes him back, welcomes him back to the family and is so thankful that he has come back home. The statistics say that much of our wealth that we will accumulate will be squandered within one or two generations. And then what do we have left? And this is the dilemma of the preacher. What do we have left? So the end of our chapter, the preacher is basically saying, is there an answer to this? How can we get out of this hopelessness? And the author is saying that we should simply enjoy all of this as a gift from God. Well, that doesn't seem like a good answer to this question because the problem is the preacher can't enjoy it because he knows it will just all be meaningless. It'll all go away. But then he asks, who, who can enjoy this gift and receive it? So basically, the ones who please God can enjoy all of these things as a gift from God. And so the big question is, then, who or what pleases God? Well, we actually know from the book of Hebrews, we, and, we, and we just studied that, that it's putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be humble before God. We realize the sin in our hearts, the futility of all these possessions, all this wisdom, all our, our toil and work, we see that it is vanity, it is meaningless, and we, we realize we need something better that will truly satisfy us and that will give us true joy. And that is what Jesus Christ offers us when, we, when, 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 he, has, when he sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins and saved us. So anything besides Christ only provides frustrating returns. And that is why we put our hope and faith in Jesus. And obviously, it's not the type of faith where it's, oh, I have to be good. I have to be this type of person or that type of person. I have to do all these good things to, to please God. No, but it's a type of faith where we simply believe that God is there, that God is here, that he has saved us, and we rest in him. He is a God who has simply chosen to save us and redeem us, not by any effort of our own, but because of his grace and love for us. And so what is happening here with the preacher is that he is realizing that he can't change his circumstances. He knows that his circumstances are what they are. Death awaits him. 
uh, how he how his children handle the money. He has he has no control over what uh, his hard work will amount to after he dies. And so what he does is instead he shifts his focus. He shifts his perspective, and he says in verses twenty four to twenty five, "There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil." This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So what happens is that the preacher stops looking for answers in the world. He knows the world cannot provide these answers, but and he knows that he can't find the answers in himself either. But he realizes that all of this is a gift from God. And because all of this is a gift from God, apart from God, without faith in him, it is all meaningless. It is actually in God we can find joy in our toil. God gives us all these things in this world to, to enjoy for our benefit. The Christian life is oftentimes uh, def- defined by asceticism. And asceticism is this idea that, that we are to forego the pleasures of this world. Whether it be a, a, a nice dinner, a, a vacation, um, a fun activity or a hobby, things like that. We are to forego those pleasures and, and to simply just focus on, focus on worshiping him and praying to him and meditating. Right? And that's why people become monks and, and people kind of remove themselves from the world. But the Bible never teaches that material wealth is to be completely abolished. Right. But but scripture, of course, does also say say that wealth uh, can hinder us from believing in God and for, from trusting in him and and uh, how greed can be such a powerful, evil force in our lives that makes us so selfish and unwilling to to love and care for others. But in our passage, we we see that we are to enjoy the things of this world, the, the enjoy our toils, the fruits of our labor as well. So we can actually find joy in our work. We, that is a good thing for us to do. We are to enjoy the work that we, that we do, and we are to enjoy the fruits of our labor as well. But the problem is when we try to find ultimate meaning in those things. That is a futile exercise, and that will lead to discontentment. Steph Curry, uh, one of the best basketball players in the world, is a Christian who is very open about his faith. And uh, he did an interview once about his family and and life and and basketball, and this is what he had to say about it. I love to play the game, and I love when good things happen. But when I get home, it's about my family and just enjoying the blessings in my life without letting basketball, basketball define my personality or my character. The time with my wife is huge so we can continue to grow and not be complacent with where we are in our walk with Christ. Obviously, we can all be better at that. Some who see a person like Steph Curry only see what he does on the basketball court, and they would say that that's probably the only thing that really matters to him. But he makes it clear that he doesn't want basketball to define him. He enjoys it, and you can tell, of course, how he plays, that he enjoys basketball very much, but but it's not everything, right? He said family is important. His faith is important. And that's what the preacher is realizing. When we 
trust in Christ, put our faith in him, we come to enjoy our work, our toils, our possessions, our wisdom as a gift from God. And, and, and we have this knowledge and wisdom of knowing that in Christ we have meaning and fulfillment. And even though our work and accomplishment, you know, it doesn't give us meaning in themselves, we can still enjoy the gifts of God. But without Christ, without God, the preacher says once again, this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Our, our work, our accomplishments, our achievements, all of those things are in themselves a striving after wind. When we go after those things for meaning, it is a, a striving after wind, a chasing after wind. But in Christ, they are things that we can enjoy because they are a gift from God, a beautiful gift from God, and we should treat it as such. And when we have the proper perspective on all these gifts, we realize that our true joy and satisfaction are in him alone, in God alone. And of course, in our case, it's trusting and putting our faith in Christ alone. My, my hope is that we can take this moment to think about the temporary nature of this life and how death truly is indeed coming for all of us. And that might be very uncomfortable for many of us, especially if we're relatively young. We may not have thought about that, but we never know what life will throw at us, and we never know when death is coming. But the truth is, no matter what, death is coming for us. And so because our life is temporary and because death is coming for all of us, what do we do with this little time on earth? So let us wonder, do we really believe that he's here, that God is here, and everything comes from him and his hands? Let's think about that today to see if we are truly pursuing God, truly living for him, because living for him is living for the eternal things, right? It is in Christ alone that we can live for the eternal. We have salvation in him. And we have eternal life. And so now we know that there is something glorious and better on the other side of this life. So are we pursuing that? Are we pursuing him? Or, or are we pursuing these earthly things that are from God, which we are to enjoy, right? But they do not offer satisfaction. They are ultimately in themselves vanity, meaningless. My hope is that all of us would wholeheartedly believe that God is here, that he is here in our midst, in our presence, and that we can find our joy in him and him alone. And that is where we can find our meaning in life as well. So let us pray together and ask him to show us the truth that it is in him we can find joy and meaning in life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have shown us, Lord, how fleeting this world is, how, how it is striving after wind, how all of our, our possessions, all of our wisdom, all of our work, Lord, they may amount to nothing after we die. We do not have any control of what any of our life will mean or matter in the future. 
but God, we know that life does not end in death. Lord, there is a life after death that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we are so thankful that we have something for, something to look forward to, to know that even though the things of earth cannot be changed by our works alone, Lord, we know that you have that power to do amazing things here on this worth, or world and earth and in the life to come as well. As well. So, Lord, we put our trust in you and faith in you. Lord, and we pray that we can just simply enjoy the gifts of this world as gifts from you. And to let it be a reminder for us of how amazing you are, how you provide for us, and how you bless us constantly in this world and in this life. But, Heavenly Father, we need to ultimately point ourselves to Christ for what he has done for us. And so, God, help us to see that truth here today so that we can pursue you, pursue Christ in all that we do, not to pursue the worldly things, to find meaning in these worldly things. So, Lord, examine our hearts. Help us to see how we need to repent and change. And, Lord, help all of us to ultimately trust in you and you alone because it is in you we find our joy, satisfaction, hope, life, and meaning as well. Lord, we give all the glory to you here today. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take care, Cornerstone. God bless.